This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Wrestling Network friends and family, good day or night, whenever you're listening. Welcome to this month's journey back in time. It is the Wrestle Tracks. I am your co-host Scott Criscola. Joining me as always from out on the Isles, Mr. Greg Diener. Hello, sir. How are you? Oh, hello, Scott. Uh, as we're recording this very big night, we got uh, two Monday night games going on here. Yeah. Yeah, we got what Bucks Eagles, and uh, the fuck's the other game? Bengals Rams, Rams Bengals. I think. Yeah, yeah. rematch from the Super Bowl like a year and a half ago. Yeah, a year and a half Three. ago. <sighs> I, I gotta say this, I, I I don't understand. I'm gonna vent a bit before we fire the show up. I I don't understand. I get two Monday night games. Remember, for years, uh, ESPN used to do the doubleheader on Week One. They would do an early game and then either Denver, San Diego, Arizona, whatever. Why, for the love of God, would you air two, the same network, technically? Why would you air two games at the same time? Is this because of the strike that they're doing this? No, it seems like they planned this already. Oh, you know what? Nah, I feel like they planned this already. Could You really can't move? Well, I mean, the schedule was made in June. Well, when was the strike? May? Of course, the as we're recording this, the writer's half of the strike is in essence over the actors are not done, but they're a bunch of billionaires anyway. So Um, the actors, the the whole actors movie studio thing is like baseball strikes and football strikes. I have no sense for anybody. uh, Yeah. I haven't said, I'm going to wait till the year end review, but that's basically my thoughts about the whole strike. It's it's all, it's all a bunch of crap, but billionaires crying for more money. Writers I'll go with because they kind of work on a show by show basis, but really I'm going to feel bad for George Clooney who owns a villa in Italy. Give me a break. Anyway, you might be right, though, Greg. Maybe they decided to swing this at least these first couple of Mondays. Um, because this is the last one planned. Because my net, you know, my client, I work for CBS. We It directly impacts us because we do a, a weekly QB show. Um, and uh, usually it's on at 6 o'clock every Monday night. But the last two weeks, we've had to air it at 5 o'clock. Because we have a game at 7.15 and 8.15. Not just 8.15. So uh, it affects me. Um, but I think this, as far as I know, I think this is the last, uh, the last Monday for it. So, all right. Um, so anyway, Greg, always a pleasure. Um, this month in the wrestle tracks, you, the PTB wrestling network fan picked our show for us. We picked, we had three September, uh, choices. We did fall brawl, 1994 in your house, mind games, 1996 and unforgiven 2000. 
and we thank you for voting uh, on the twits. Uh, I don't know if we'll be doing it through the twits next month. Uh, we might do half and half. We might use the PTB uh, page as well, whatever. Um, but you have spoken, and tonight we are going back to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I could throw you off there because two of the three shows were in Philadelphia, if I remember correctly. Yes. So I'm throwing you off right now. Two of the three shows that we chose were emanating from Philadelphia. Hey, Scott, I heard Philadelphia has a great takeout business. <laughs> Indeed, they do. <laughs> um, so. With your vote. We are going to September 22nd, 1996 for In Your House Mind Games. Uh, we thank you for your pick. Um, I'm glad you picked it. Um, I'll be honest. I was a little biased. I kind of wanted this one picked. Um, fall Brawl 94 is a solid show. I have no issues with it. It's the first, obviously, it's the first Fall Brawl with Hulk Hogan. Unforgiven 2000s, not terrible. I just watched it recently, probably in the last year. So I'm glad you guys didn't vote for that one because... I just watched it, but uh, this is a fun one. Now, October's votes, I'll announce, we'll announce at the end of the show what, what the October choices will be, and then we'll let you know when the polls open. Uh, you kind of you probably have an idea what we're going to do in October, but we'll save that for, for the end of the show. Uh, we're going to go back through time like we do on the Place Be Podcast, a little pop culture action, football, baseball, 1996 pennant races. I remember going to a big game. I'll talk about it with Greg and everyone during the, our broad, during the broadcast. Uh, I went to a big game. Uh, involving pennant races in uh, September of 1996, I'll get into. Uh, we'll see what was going on in football. Cowboys were the defending world champions. Um, movies, etc. So, so if you have uh, the cock, uh, or if you're on a DVD, uh, or if you're on uh, VHS, because a lot of people might have taped it right off the um, pay-per-view. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. yeah, if you're on the pay because remember, this is, pre, this is pre-DVD. The first uh, little trivia for you, uh, Greg. What was the first? The first? Quiet, quiet, quiet. Stupid things playing. Uh, do you remember the first uh, official WWEF DVD, pay-per-view DVD? That was released. Yes. I believe it was WrestleMania 15. You are correct, sir. WrestleMania 15 was the first official DVD. Can you give me the first official Blu-ray release? I believe it was WrestleMania 24. You are correct, which is weird because the first HD pay-per-view was the Royal Rumble that year at the Garden. But they didn't oh. do uh, the the because I have all those shows. They did not do the Royal Rumble or No Way Out on Blu-ray. Just uh, they did them on DVD. WrestleMania 24 in 2008 was the first ever pay-per-view on Blu-ray. And they wouldn't do a lot on Blu-ray after that. They no. did a lot of the uh, comps. I remember doing, uh, I want to say it was uh, the MSG comp they did on Blu-ray. I think uh, Legends of Mid-South. They did a few with like their regular DVD specials on Blu-ray. But I don't remember a ton of pay-per-views. They probably just did the Manias on Blu-ray and just kept the other shows on DVD. As far as I know, I stopped buying in, in 2017. I actually kept buying three years after the network started because I was always leery that the network was going to dump. <laughs> so I I kept buying. But then by by uh, 
2017, I realized streaming in general was here to stay. So I stopped buying after, I think it was Night of Champions or Clash of Ch- something of Champions uh, 2017 in December. So, all right. Anyway, uh, if everybody's got the, um, if everybody has the counter to zero, regardless whether you're on stream, VC, VHS, whatever, here we go. Three, two, one. And we begin with, I have to say, you know, Greg, for 1996, the montages for all the pay-per-views were really damn good. Oh, yeah. These were, like, really well put together. You know, of course, it's all about mankind because he is in the main event tonight as he is going after Shawn Michaels' World Wrestling Federation Championship. Uh, Man, this is one month after the uh, venomous heel turn of... Paul Bearer, who stuck it to The Undertaker at SummerSlam in Cleveland, uh, which kind of shocked me. I'm not going to lie. Oh, that I, was, that was go, shocking. Go Did you think it was shocking? It was definitely, I guess you're right. I guess you could say it was shocking. I, I, I have to say I was probably a little taken aback by it. I don't think anybody expected that to happen. I'm not surprised Mankind won because I think they wanted to keep the feud going. I am surprised that, that, that Paul Bearer turned heel. That surprised me. But... Uh, but T- Man- Taker was in this really weird feud with uh, Goldust, and we'll get into. You had this like band of misfits uh, <laughs> in terms of heels, um, which we'll talk about tonight as well. Um, but uh, the big thing about this show, and we'll get into it because it happens kind of during the opening match, is of course in 1995 96, uh, ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, was reaching its zenith. And uh, if you remember the 1995 King of the Ring, which is a absolute dumpster fire of a pay-per-view, uh, the ECW, the fans were chanting ECW, ECW, because I remember watching Greg in the spring of 1995. I was a senior in college, and I would get home from the bar and watch it on MSG at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I was getting into ECW. And, of course, we have the In Your House, the creepy uh, fucking mind games. <laughs> well, that is scary. That is fucking mind-numbing, no pun intended. So, for the first time since the 95 King of the Ring, we are back in the city of Philadelphia. Uh, Fitting, since we're recording with the Eagles playing tonight on uh, Monday Night Football as we're recording. Um, And we're in a new building. We are. We are in a new building. We are in the, uh, I believe it is the Core States Spectrum. Uh... I think is the official name of it. Um, of course, this 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 building would go over what, like four different banks. Oh, <laughs> First Union Center, Wachovia Center, now Wells Fargo Center. Yeah, a lot of financial institutions, kind of like the kind of like the uh, current TD Garden, which went yeah. through I think four banks. So, oh, 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 by the way, Vince McMahon for God, wait about another I don't know about ten years, guy. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, of course, your broadcast team is Vince McMahon, Jim Ross, and Mr. Perfect. Uh, so we have our opening match, Justin Hawk Bradshaw, managed by Uncle Zebekiah, otherwise known as um, Dirty Dutch Mantel. Now... The NWO on the other side of the coin had just gotten started. Uh, obviously, Hogan had turned heel that July, 
and the NWO was a couple months old at this point. Um, this is a Caribbean strap match. As, And now we have Kevin Kelly, one of our personal favorites here in the PTB Wrestling Network family. In fact, you'll probably hear more Kevin Kelly in the future. Um, and he's interviewing Savio Vega, who will be taking on Justin Hawk Bradshaw this evening. Uh, yes, Kevin Kelly, of course, the big announcement. He is going to step down as the North American voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh. Uh, effective, yes, effective after Wrestle Kingdom in January. Um, well, you know, he does collision for AEW on Saturdays. I know Kevin pretty well. I think that the, I think the travel was starting to wear on him. And uh, he might be more available to return to some uh, guest appearances here on the network. I, okay. I know Steve Willie and I have been looking forward to getting him on the pot of honor. Uh, so, so here we go. A Caribbean strap match. Of course, the second Caribbean strap match this year. If you remember back in May at the infamous Beware of Dog uh, show, uh, which had the terrible storm. Uh, Steve Austin and Savio Vega had a, uh, had a strap match. Um, oh, wait, Harvey, did you watch the show live, Greg? Oh, live. Um, I remember watching part of it live. I, I believe I might've had company in my house, so I couldn't watch the whole show live at the time. So mm-hmm. I do not believe I watched the show live. I don't think so. But yeah, Harvey Whippleman's the referee. I forgot this was during that period where he was repping. Yes. Yes. Harvey Downtown Bruno was uh, refereeing. And uh, I think we have five matches on this show. Of course, as mentioned, the main event, Shawn Michaels defending the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Mankind. Um, I thought this match would be in October, but they want obviously you want Taker in the main event of an October pay-per-view. Even though uh, I can guarantee you that whatever show we do on Wrestle Tracks in October will not have Taker in it. I can almost guarantee you that. So, uh, but that's okay. We have Taker and a bunch of other stuff down the line, of course. So, um, why don't you delve into some of our pop culture info, uh, uh, Greg, to get us started? Oh, oh, well, hold on a second. I think we're going to see something in, in, a, in a second coming Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Good call. I was about to think that. I didn't think it was this early in the match. So, you're seeing Savio, if you're if you're following along, getting choked out by Bradshaw. Now, to the left of the screen, keep an eye on those seats on that side of the ring near the uh, barricade, near the steps. If you look very closely, you're going to see a few people that you will definitely recognize. Don't forget what city we're in, folks. Oh, see that? Uh, you, you could v- vaguely see a T-shirt. I'm sure Bucktooth Fuckstick. Uh, there it is. Oh! <laughs> there it is. The Sandman just spit in the face of Savio Vega. And who else is hanging out with him? Tommy Dreamer. Yes. I, lo- I love that Tommy's just chilling right there. He is. Like, like hanging out, waiting to get an Italian combo with the Deli and Yonkas. Um, Yes, ECW was indeed in the house. And security. Oh, Paul. That was Paul, of course. Paul Heyman was trying to get his guys out as uh, uh, uh I think that was probably Blackjack Lanza and Jerry Briscoe trying to get those guys out. Of course, 1996, if you, of course, listen to the wonderful show, The Extreme Three-Way Dance, which started here on the PTB Wrestling Network and, of course, continues over on the no-so. Uh, Jenny and, well, it was Jenny D'Amato and JR. Now it's Jenny, Suze, and JR. They're taking you through the history of the Extreme Championship Wrestling. Uh, this, to, in my opinion, Greg, was totally in ECW's zenith. To me, 95 
96, 97 were like the best years of ECW into 98. Oh, yeah. Back well, into 98 into 99, when guys started to leave for the money, um, ECW started to thin out. But these three, these three years, in my opinion, 95, 96, and 97 are just prime ECW. Oh, yeah. Well, I couldn't. I mean, I never I didn't watch any of ECW when it originally aired until it was like on TNN. But it's like I would always like follow it through like the magazine. So. Right. Right. Mm. So, well, you're I know you're a little younger than me, so you didn't watch it. You I mean, you live near me. You don't live too far away from me. So you yeah. you didn't have it on MSG. Well, we did have it on MSG, but it's like I. I obviously is not going to stay up till like three in the morning to watch. Oh, it, no, so. I figured maybe I would figure maybe you taped it or whatever. Um, nah. I tape it. Some nights I was too blacked out. To watch it. I, yeah. think, I think Sam would have been proud of me at the state I was in when I was when the shows would be on the I air. Think a, I think after uh, MSG Sports Desk and Bob Page, I'm like, ah, time to go to bed. Ah, Bob Page. I miss MSG Sports Desk. Oh, I, yeah. I love Bob Page. He's He was like a con. He was like a. Bob Page was to us 90s New York fans what, like, uh, Bill Mazur was to, like, my brothers and my dad in the 70s and the early 80s. Bill Mazur was a legendary, for those that are, like, younger than Greg, um, uh, Bill Mazur was a legendary New York sports guy in the 50s through the 80s. I mean, newspaper, I think he wrote a column for, uh, it was either the Post or the Daily News, and he did, he did... Uh, sports shows on like Channel 9 and Channel, like all the New York If you're a New Yorker, like D'Amato, Jay Arsenio D'Amato knows exactly who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, he was he was on uh, FAN in the early days, I remember too. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. I, I love Bill Mazur. Rest, God, rest in peace. Uh, but Bob Page was like the 90s guy. He was always, him and, uh, him and Al Troutwig, they were always on because obviously the Yankees were on MSG uh, in the pre-yes years. Um, the Yankees were on MSG. As the Mets were on uh, Sports Channel or whatever, Ugh. Um, I hated Sports Channel. Anyway, uh, little uh, I, I I've always thought, and I have to check back on my grades. I always felt like this match was actually better than the <laughs> than the Steve Austin strap match. I don't know why. Um, it, maybe it was because they had to do it twice. I don't know. <laughs> I, I like the Austin Savio strap match. I thought it was solid. I don't know. This one just felt a little more, a little more. I don't know. Maybe it's because Bradshaw's bigger and he could chuck Savio around more. I don't yeah. Know. But it's solid though. But I like both. Nice boot to the face by uh, Savio there. Uh, by uh, Bradshaw there. I believe uh, Sandman and uh, it was probably smart to get them out of the way quick and uh, do it in a match nobody cared about because you don't want you don't want to have the ECW guys like show like on camera during the Sean. Mankind match oh, that would no. that, that would ruin the match. It's not the place for it. You want those guys to be in a match that no one gave a shit about. And uh, this one was probably it. So <laughs> so, but uh, you can see now that Sandman and uh, and Tommy are gone, and Paul pulled them out. Of course, uh, obviously at this time the the story quote unquote was that uh, Vince was kind of funneling a little scotto, a little scratch, little little, little lettuce Ooh. to uh, to Paul. And then, of course, by the time we got to the beginning of 1997, uh, ECW would actually show up on uh, on Raw. Um, at that time, <laughs> ECW might not have been making too much more than too much less than WWE was anyway. But uh, anyway, it's um, like the difference between Brock Purdy's yearly salary and the salary Al Michaels makes for a game on Prime. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> hmm. 
Okay, uh, for the uh, local sports teams in the area. Yes. Uh, this was the rookie year for Allen Iverson. Oh. As Savio wins the strap match. Yes. And it, by accident. Okay, well, that's going on. Um, Allen Iverson's rookie year, they, uh, Sixers finished 22 and 60. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Oof. Coach at the time was uh, Johnny Davis. Oh, okay. And uh, some of the players on the 96 uh, 97 team, we got Adrian Caldwell. Hey, we talked about him in the last episode. Derek Coleman was on. Derek this Coleman. Team. Yes. Um, oh, already went. Jerry Stackhouse. Yes. I think he was a rookie. Maybe second year. Second year. Yeah. Rex Walters, Clarence Weverspoon, and that's about it. Hmm. Well, they would start building the uh they would start building a roster that five years later would put them in the NBA finals. So. Yeah. Oh Jesus, I forgot about this. Oh, uh, this this is gonna be a we're definitely gonna do a lot of uh sports and pop culture during this debacle of a <laughs> okay, match. Okay, good. <laughs> Jim Cornette and his Unitard. <laughs> oh god. Oh um, god. So bad. So the Flyers at 96-97, this was the team that went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals against the uh, Red Wings. Yes, with Eric Lindros. Yeah, they would lose uh, four straight to the Red Wings. They uh, beat the Rangers in five games in the cup, in the conference finals. That was the one year where uh, Gretzky and Messier were back together before Messier left for Vancouver. Thanks a lot, Neil Smith. <laughs> yep. Um, some of the players on that 97 Flyers team, we got Rob Brindamore. Oh, yep. Paul, Paul Coffey, Coffey, Eric Desjardins. Good player. Pat Falloon. Mm-hmm. Pat Falloon. Wow. Dale Howarchuk. Uh, Dale, Dale Howarchuk was in the back end. What the fuck is Cornette wearing? Seriously. Oh, gee. This what is. The... <laughs> this is ridiculous. He looks like he just came off eating like five Wendy's singles. He looks terrible. Oh, I think he did it on purpose. Meanwhile, oh, oh. that's right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> fake Razor and fake Diesel attack Savio. Rick Bogner and the artist formerly known as Isaac Yankum DDS. Yes, uh, I forgot about. Fake and, Razor and fake Diesel. And the next night we got that epic heel JR promo. They hired me yes. back for 50 cents on the dollar. <laughs> Um, uh, speaking of guy, uh, Dale Howard Chuck was a great player that he, this was the back end of his career in the eighties. Uh, Howard Chuck played for the Winnipeg jets, the first Winnipeg jets, the ones that became the, uh, coyotes. And, uh, he was a stud top 10 scorer in the eighties in the NHL. Great player. Um, uh, who did you say before? Uh, uh well, I, I should know about Dale Howard Chuck. I have a, uh, I got like maybe a couple months ago at a card show. I got like an upper deck jersey card of Dale Howard Chuck. Really? Wow, yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, Ron Hextall was the goaltender for this yes. team. Yep. John Leclerc, Lindros, obviously. Uh, oh, future Islanders goalie and general manager Garth Snow was the backup goaltender. Garth Snow, yes, yes. Who was the guy you said before Desjardins? Uh, Paul Coffey. Paul Coffey. Now, Paul Coffey, throughout my lifetime as a as a as a hockey fan, 
I always consider the second best goal, second best defenseman of this gener of that generation. Because for me, of course, and I'm being totally biased, the best defenseman of this generation is is Ray Bork. But of course, I'm being biased. But well, uh, I, Paul Coffey is a great. Defenseman. I would say Brian Leach, but Brian Leach is a great. I would say probably Bork. But well, they both won. I think they each won. I have to double check that. I think they each won five Norrises. I think between I think ten Norrises between the two of them between Bork and Brian Leach. I think they won five each. Here's Jose Lothario, who looks the same as he did in 1981 world class, maybe with a little less hair. Actually, definitely less hair. But, uh, yeah, this is this is dreadful. <laughs> Why are we watching a match? Well, he's wearing a Sean's jacket. That's dreadful. Oh, God. That is dreadful. Get where's David Manning to ref when we need him? <laughs> and where's the – come on, Rick. Come on, Tim White. Take a seat. We need the greatest referee and the laziest of all time, Bronco Lubitsch. The guy couldn't even do a three count on his knees. He had to do it leaning down because he was too lazy to get down to the mat. <laughs> but I, every time I watch World Class uh, when I'm at work or whatever, I'll put it on in the mornings getting my day started because I'm watching stuff chronologically. And uh, the silverback himself, Matt Rotella, comes over to my desk and goes, oh, look, it's that lazy bastard Bronco Lupich. <laughs> he is easily one of the worst referees ever. <laughs> um, anyway, this match is garbage, so we'll yeah. just keep talking. Um, yeah, screw this. Yeah, the Red Wings, by the way, I remember eight years earlier, uh, Greg, eight years earlier, uh, my New Haven Nighthawks made an epic run to the Calder Cup finals, and they took on the Adirondack Red Wings. And I remember going to game three in in New Haven. They had lost the first two at Adirondack. And, and you look at that roster, and it's the same guys that eight years later won the cup, those back-to-backs. And my brother is looking at me going, this uh oh wow this match was that quick yeah I guess oh, mercifully gee. I guess mercifully it was that quick hey, um, hey at least someone's wearing an Eagles jersey in the crowd I know right yes well they just, I think they had just changed over to the to the uniforms they have now so I'm trying to think who that is but um, yeah it's a 32 I gotta look that up 32 and 96 Brian Dawkins oh bro okay all right let me maybe look. maybe or 20 was Brian Dawkins or 20 was Andre Waters that cheating prick uh I don't know. But uh, but my brother and I were sitting in the in the stands at the old Coliseum, and we're like, "Wow, this Red Wing team! This this is these are all NHL." I mean, because this was Fedorov. I think Iserman was already up with Detroit, but this was like Fedorov and Tim Shevelday and Larmer, maybe not Larmer, um, Carson, Jimmy Carson, and uh, Isabart and Shepard, like just loaded with freaking studs that were going to end up being in. I think they all joined the Red Wings the following year. Um, and, uh, Ricky waters did was on the Eagles. This was that's his, right. uh, second year. Okay. So that's his Jersey. So we got the uh, hotline. We got Mark Merrill on one side with Sable and Farouk on the other side, Farouk Assad on the other side with Sonny. Um, Farouk Assad still wearing that goofy gladiator thing. He dumped that by, by December when he would create the, uh, nation of domination. So one nine hundred seven eight seven. Or WWF, I think it, I think is what it was. For WWF, I think. Well, I see a two, so. Oh, one eight, uh, two. Oh, that's the uh, I think that's the Canada number, the one on the right. Anyway, oh, okay. Uh, so we have uh, Vince, we have uh, Jr., and we have Mister Perfect in his uh, his salmon shirt and his uh, what is that, Sanskrit color, whatever brown uh, jacket. That's a weird fashion choice that Kurt is wearing. 
Uh, oh, oh, Brian. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Why didn't they ever make that shirt? Because it's probably probably not right to, but fuck it. Brian Pillman is coming down, and of course, Brian Pillman's awesome. And he's wearing a T-shirt that says, I don't call 911 with a gun. That's just, a, that's just, and this is six weeks before that Raw. Yeah, this is foreshadowing. It's crazy. We got a Bret Hart promo from South Africa with his Calgary Hitmen T-shirt. I didn't realize the team was, yeah, I guess it was. It might have uh, uh, just started, I think. Yeah. Now, uh, of course, Brett, this was in the middle of Bret Hart's hiatus. He had not wrestled since uh, losing the Iron Man match to Sean at WrestleMania 12. So he had he would not be back in the ring for a month and a half. He would, of course, wrestle Steve Austin in that epic uh, match at Survivor Series at the Garden. So Pillman's in the ring cutting his usual awesome Pillman promo. I can't believe that shirt. That shirt is so <laughs> fucking awesome. Damn it. Oh, I cannot. I can't believe, you know what, if, well, if Brian Pillman Jr. makes it in the WWE, obviously WWE won't, won't make that shirt, but no. damn it, I wish they had made it on his, uh, his pro wrestling tease page because that's, uh, that shirt's pretty damn amazing. <laughs> Welfare recipients. I love you. God rest, uh, rest in peace, Brian Pillman. We miss you so fucking much. The loose cannon Brian Pillman was like my favorite character ever. Oh, he's so awesome. Um, speaking of Pillman, obviously, if you're if you're following, of course, the Place B podcast, we are going into early 2010, and we're going to start getting into the Brett Vince stuff leading up to WrestleMania. And I said, you know, that feud was obviously terrible, and the match was even worse. And we said. We had said, what did that feud miss? Well, the guy in the ring, the guy walking down the ramp right now, and another guy we saw earlier. Who were the three Hart family guy, Hart family crew, Hart Foundation, that had any personality whatsoever? And they were all dead. Pillman, Owen, Bulldog. We were stuck having to listen to Bruce Hart promos during this freaking feud. When the three best guys that would have carried that feud exponentially to the moon we're all gone it sucked so of course owen hart slammy winner in the ring um owen hart king of farts that's classy stay classy philly that um, girl's very proud of that song yeah she is she's so philly right there uh give me steak and cheese sweetheart um you know pill pillman and owen were like if you remember the Raws, uh, Greg, Owen and, and Pillman were absolute gold. Gold on Raw. Like, they're, anytime they were together on camera, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. It's like JR loves gushing over Owen and Pillman on the Raws in 96 into early 97. Just so, so funny. Oh. Hmm. And their sisters, I might add. <laughs> Fucking Pillman! Oh, God. So good.
My brother, Brett. My little brother, Woon. <laughs> He's a little scared of me. Oh. Interesting. Oh. Now, he's not hurt, but for some odd reason, Steve Austin, not wrestling on this show, which is weird. Well, Stone he, was, Cold, he was on the free-for-all last month, wasn't he? Yes, this is the weird thing. So, I'm trying to remember, he, he wins King of the Ring. Uh... I think he was at International Incident. I'm trying to remember who he wrestled. I think he was at International Incident. At SummerSlam, he wrestles Yokozuna on the pre-show. And then this pay-per-view, he's not here. Ah, the Hollywood Blondes. One of my favorite t-shirts that I own. And my... Classic superstars figures that I mentioned in the past, Greg, on my yeah. wall. Hollywood blondes. I heard an urban legend that Pillman had to tuck the chain because, the, you know, the chain, if you know the story, of course, the chain that Austin's wearing him and Pillman wore when they were in the Hollywood blondes. Pillman still has his chain, but I guess, I don't know if it was Michael Hayes or somebody in the back told Pillman he had to tuck his chain into the shirt because people would know that they were, they didn't want to give away that, they, which was stupid because we're not all fucking idiots. <laughs> but I guess Pillman still wore his, uh, his Hollywood blondes chain. So look at the, look at these, look at these three absolute bona fide studs right here. But yeah, then he doesn't wrestle here. And then next month at buried alive, he wrestles triple H on in the opener in the curtain jerker. And then, and then finally, you know, once Brett comes back or the announcement is Brett comes back for Survivor Series, uh, then, then the, the rocket ship, uh, the rockets attached to him. But Stone Cold said so. Is this the first utterance of it? Mm, no, he did it at uh, King of the Ring. Okay. He did it at King of the Ring. I love Brian Pillman. I love that. I love that that vest. I love that fucking t-shirt. Ugh. He could probably start a fight with like twenty people in the crowd right now. Absolutely. I wish the ECW guys were still. That, that's this is one moment I kind of wish the fucking Sandman and uh and uh, uh Tommy and Tommy were still sitting there. So we got that killer promo, which is pretty awesome. We get some outside shots, and now oh, that's right. We have the Mark Henry. Oh. Uh, vignettes because Mark Henry, of course, at the time, Olympic uh, wrestler or Olympic, I'm sorry, uh, power lifter. Yeah. Um, touring through Philly. He hadn't debuted yet. He hadn't had his first uh, significant. Oh, of course. Uh, he hasn't he hasn't started his career yet and have a significant injury that would leave him out for, you know, 16 months. But uh, so there is. Yep. The core state center, of course, as Greg said, a brand new spanking building, uh, the old spectrum. Uh, I believe it had already been knocked down. And if not, it was going to be within a couple of years. I think they needed the, uh, the, yeah, the parking. The, spe the Spectrum was, I think, when I went to Philly in like 2006, it was still there. 
Oh, okay. So it'd be yeah, like, that's right. So probably late 2000s, they tore it down. Mm. But what I always heard is like the Spectrum was like, the original Spectrum was like great for concerts because I always heard it had like great acoustics in the building. I agree. Uh, I've heard that too. I've heard that, that Springsteen loved playing there. Billy Joel loved playing there. Um, now we have an amazing tag team, Owen Hart and British Bulldog. Um, speaking of guys that were awesome in the Hart family and would have made that Brett Vince feud in 2010, you know, uh, amazing. Woo! Uh, rest in peace, Owen. And now we have... <laughs> We have Clarence Mason and who's that fucking doofus that's pretending to be a doctor? Nice, like nice Dick hair. Slater. Nice hair. <laughs> Dick Slater. <laughs> and now we know what's going on here. This is a big storyline plot. Jim Cornette just got duped into signing away all of his guys to Clarence Mason. That was that. That's what that was. And now here are the smoking guns who were the, at the time, the World Wrestling Federation uh, tag team champions. Of course, Sonny was the legitimate gold digger. She uh, jumped on it. She was like Captain Lou, only hotter. Although now she looks like Captain Lou now. But <laughs> but uh, but uh, th- this was the storyline in 96 where Sonny just dumped, jumped on every tag team champion and managed them. Kind of like uh, Captain Lou did between 84 and 87. Oh, British Bulldogs? Yeah, I'll manage them for, you know, six days before they win the titles at WrestleMania 2. God. Um, so we have a uh, World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Championship match here. Uh, so, yes, the Flyers, as uh, as Greg mentioned, in this building. Uh, that seems to be a thing, you know. Uh, uh, new building opens, and, you know, sometimes team gets hot with the surroundings and the flot. Oh, look oh. at that. <laughs> that is that is amazing. <laughs> so the poster comes down of Sonny, because that was the thing at the time. And uh it has she has a wig and, and a glasses and a goatee drawn on it. That's pretty awesome. That is actually quite awesome. So this was a weird stretch because the guns were they heels, were they faces? Was it, was it, I think it was a split still. I, I don't, I don't know. Sonny was, I don't know. She was, she was basically a gold digger at this time. She really was. She was. And, uh, and, uh, obviously this is the slow burn that would eventually lead to the, uh, uh, the smoking guns breaking up and then. Billy would become Rockabilly, and then we all know what happened after that. So, pretty funny. Sonny would last another year and a third, and then she'd be gone shortly after WrestleMania 14. And then she would hook up again with her ex boyfriend, then back to regular boyfriend Candido. They'd go to ECW, and we all know what happened after that. So, so, Seems okay, like Bull- I- I'm confused, Greg. What do you think? Is are Bulldog and Owen f- yeah, faces? I think they're I think they're de facto baby faces in this match. Oh, here's Clarence Mason. Here's Clarence Mason. And of course, 
he comes out because of the storyline hook that we just saw. Uh, Jim Cordette was delirious after losing to uh, Jose Lothario. So Clarence Mason told him to sign some, quote, insurance or something. When in reality, Clarence Mason just duped Jim Cornette into signing over Camp Cornette guys to him. That was the uh, that was the hook, I guess. So, um, which is pretty funny. And then, of course, eventually, Clarence Mason, Cornette would end up being pretty much just like an announcer, I guess. And Clarence Mason would help start the uh, Nation of Domination. All right, so uh, I have the top ten movies of this weekend in 1986. All right, here we go. Okay, number ten, we got the uh, Rich Man's Wife with Halle Berry. Uh, number nine, in its 12th week, making $290 million at this time, probably the movie of the summer, Independence Day. Yes. Yep. Definitely. Good movie. Uh, number eight, we got A Time to Kill. Uh, John Grisham, I think? Yeah, uh, I think it's McConaughey, Sam Jackson, Sandy Bullock. That's right. Sandra Bullock. Yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Good movie. Yes, they deserve to die. I hope they burn in hell. I hope they burn in hell. Uh, number seven, Tin Cup. Ah, yes. Good movie. Uh, number six, First Kid with Sinbad. Ah, First Kid. Uh, infamous, uh, wonderful moment in the history of RSV with uh, First Kid. Yes, I do remember that. Yep. Uh, uh, number five, Bulletproof with uh, David Waynes and Adam Sandler. That was uh, right after Sandler movie? did uh, Happy Gilmore and uh, Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Okay. I totally remember that movie. Huh. Uh, number four is uh, Maximum Risk with uh, JCVD and uh, Natasha Henstridge, host uh, oh. of Species. Yes, I like Natasha. She's, she was uh, quite Hachimachi, late 90s. And in Species. <laughs> number three, we got Fly Away Home with Jeff Daniels and Anna Paquin. Ah, uh, Anna number Paquin. What was she, like 10? She was like, well, I think she was, once uh, she won the Oscar, she was like, for piano, so it would be like two years after. She should be like 12 or 13, I think. Wow, that's crazy. Uh, totally number, crazy. Number, number two, we got Last Band Standing with Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. And then number one, we got First Wives Club with, uh, let's see, it was uh, Diane, Diane Keaton, Keaton. Yeah. Bette Midler, and Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. A lot of rom-coms in the fall of uh, with a couple of action in 1996. Uh. L- I want to kind of intro into baseball because you mentioned rookie years uh, that you said this is Allen Iverson's another guy who, even though he played a little in 1995, this was technically his rookie year. And that would of course be the guy that would end up having the second most hall of fame votes in Cooperstown history. I'm of course talking about the captain himself. uh, Number two, Derek Jeter. This was his rookie year. And uh, the Yankees, uh, where are we in the standings right now in September of 96, Greg? Oh, God, look right here. Hold on a second. Uh, the standings right now, we got the Yankees in the east up uh, four games on the Orioles at 89-66. Cleveland, I believe, has already won the Central at 95-60, and 60, 13 games yeah. up on the White Sox. Uh, Texas is two games up on the Mariners at 86-70. and 70. And uh, I think, let's see, Baltimore would be the wild card leader right now, up two games on uh, the White Sox and the Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, Atlanta, 93-62, eight games up on the Expos. 
Central, we got St. Louis up five games on the Astros. Reds are five and a half back. And the Dodgers and Padres are locked in a battle in the uh, NL West. Uh, Dodgers with half game lead. Right. And San Diego would have won the wild card. So, yes, they uh, did. Yep. So, uh, the games in action we got uh, Atlanta over Montreal, 8 to 2. John Smoltz getting his 23rd one of the year. Mm-hmm. Baltimore over Toronto, 5 4. Scott Erickson the win. Armando Benitez getting his, uh, the save for that one. Wow. Armando Benitez not bowling a game. Yes, and, they, and getting pissed off about it. <laughs> Uh, the Rangers over the Angels 4-1. Uh, the White Sox over the Twins 5-1. Alex Fernandez getting the W there. Cincinnati over the Cardinals 6-3. Jeff Brantley getting his 41st save of the season. John Smiley throwing a shutout over the Cardinals for the Reds 6-0. Hmm. Cleveland over Kansas City 6-5. Jack McDowell getting the victory for Cleveland. I didn't even realize he was on Cleveland at this point. Hmm. This would have been like after his one year with the um, Yankees. With the Yankees. Yep. Oh, yeah, definitely. He was gone after that 95 implosion. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yes. Marlins over the Astros, 6 to nothing. Tigers over the Brewers, 7-5. The late great Jose Lima getting the dub for the Tigers. Jose Lima. Yankees over the Red Sox, four to three. You talked about the guy who got the second most votes ever in the Hall of Fame. The guy who got the most votes ever in the Hall of Fame, Mariano Rivera, got the win for the Yankees this night. Ah, uh, yes. Yep. And John Wetland getting his 42nd save of the year. Let me see how they, uh, the Yankees got the winning run in the seventh on a Paul O'Neill sacrifice fly in the seventh. Hmm. Um, the Phillies over the Mets, four to three. Uh, the Pirates getting an 11 3 win over the Cubs in eight innings. So I'm guessing if the rain stopped the game that night, mm-hmm. that would have been at three wet rivers. Right. So we mentioned the Padres and Dodgers were in a race for the NL West. Padres getting a 3 2 win over the Dodgers. Andy Ashby, the win. Adele no more the loss for the Dodgers. He went to 16 and 11. Trevor Hoffman is 39th save of the year. Now, the now a game I mentioned to you, Scott, in the uh, yes. Facebook chat, the Oakland A's over the Seattle Mariner, Mariners, 13-11 at the Kingdom. But the big story in the fifth inning, the Mariners, uh, the A's rather, scored eight runs in the fifth. Mark McGuire getting two big home runs, his 52nd. And, uh, yeah, his 51st and 52nd home runs of the season. And they were two big upper deck shots. Like, people might have mm. torn yeah. another hole in the kingdom roof. <laughs> yes, and, of course, he would uh, he'd be traded midway through the next season to uh, the Cardinals. Um, and we all know what he would do in 1998. Uh, so, that... September. The Mets were totally out of it. However, I believe it was m- midway through that 96 season that uh, Dallas Green got the boot. If it was Dallas Green, if I remember correctly, I think it was. Yeah. And uh, and Bobby Valentine was hired uh, midway through the 96 season. And in 97, they got a little better. And then, of course, 98, they competed for the wild card and then et cetera, et cetera. But um, I did go to a couple of Met games in, in 96. Actually, 
Uh, I went to opening day in 96 at Shea. Uh, they were playing the Cardinals. Bobby Jones, the righty, uh, threw a shutout. And I'm like, oh, what a start. The Mets are 1-0. And then they would lose, like, I don't know, 15 of their next 20 or something or whatever. For, typical. For some reason, the Mets always play win the first game. Yes, they have the best opening day. Since the year they started, 1962, the Mets have the best opening day winning percentage in baseball. In, in baseball, it's like a 680 clip. I always tell people, game one is, is perfectly fine. It's the other 161 that's the problem. <laughs> but uh, so later that season, uh, for, those, for those Yankee fans listening that remember, and those Orioles fans, the, the Yankees at one point in July, early August had like a, had to have been like an 11 and a half or 12 game lead. Oh yeah, I remember this. This was like when the Yankees lead was like shrinking. Yes, they, it had gotten down to two. The Orioles came in for a three-game series at at Yankee Stadium. Uh, I went to the first game. Uh, I think it was a two. I think it was an off. They had an off day Monday. I'm pretty sure this was a Tuesday. Uh, I forgot who started for the Yankees. Scott Erickson started for the for the Orioles and was beating them two to one going into the ninth inning. He was. I think the Yankees had like four hits. He was totally stifling them. The Yankees end up tying the game on a Bernie double. And then in the 12th inning, Ruben Rivera, before he stole Jeter's glove out of his locker. Uh, <laughs> and uh, ran the wrong way in and, uh, San Francisco. Exactly. Uh, with an RBI double, and the Yankees came back and beat the Orioles 3-2. to two. And I remember everybody going down the escalators in the old Bronx going, Ruben, Ruben, Ruben. It was pretty funny. Uh, but it was, a, it was a hot crowd. Now, er, that was the second Yankee game I went to that year. Earlier in the year... I think it was Father's Day. Yeah, it was Father's Day. Because when Father's Day, when 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 the Yankees, my dad was a Yankee fan, so when the Yankees were home on Father's Day, I used to, uh, I used to take my dad for Father's Day, and a bunch of us went. Um, they were playing Cleveland, and uh, they had the first. They were going for the sweep. The Yankees. John Wetland had gotten the first two saves, so he was not. He was not. Uh, uh, he was not available. Uh, oh, what? Look at that. Oh. And we have new world tag team champions. The British Bulldog and Owen Hart defeated the Smoking Guns because of miscommunication and Billy Gunn being an idiot. And uh, I think we see, I think we see Sonny quit because, you know, she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't manage losers. So we have brand new World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions, the British Bulldog and Owen Hart. It would be Owen Hart's second reign with the tag team belts. Of course, a year earlier, he held it with uh, Yokozuma, Yakazuma. Um, and of course, as she did with the uh, as she did with the Godwins earlier in the year, she's going to grab the mic and she's going to quit because she only congregates with. She only congregates with winners. So she's about to she is, tantrum. To quote Rick Martel, she doesn't associate with losers. Losers. These guys are losers. Love Rick Martel. We're just giving Sonny a little pub here. Let me turn it up a little bit.
So, of course, Sonny fired the guns because she only manages winners. So now she's probably and now Bart Gunn and Billy Gunn are cheating. Well, Billy Gunn's pleading with her. Bart's like, fuck the bitch. Uh, <laughs> um, so what I was saying was uh, that Sunday they were playing the Indians in the Bronx. The Yankees had a I think Pettit started. The Yankees had a five nothing lead. Uh, Albert Bell hit a grand slam in the seventh inning. To make it 5-4. And then Mariano Rivera had to get the save. Because they weren't going to pitch John Wetland three days in a row. So I think if I remember correctly. I got uh, Mariano's first. One of his first saves as in, of his career. So pretty pretty good story there. But uh, And then later that year. I saw the Yankees Orioles in the Bronx. And that was a lot of fun. So uh, now we get a promo. of uh, Or an interview of Paul Bearer and Mankind. While he's holding the urn. Because that was the big thing. Holding the urn, Kevin Kelly in the bowels of the core state's center. Was this the first time you had been you had been exposed to McFoley, uh, Greg? No, I've I'd uh, watched some of his stuff in WCW's Cactus. So okay, I um I remember him in uh. I remember him in world class as Cactus Jack. And uh and then of course obviously his WCW stuff in in uh um early nineties uh WCW. As a matter of fact, uh he's in the main event of Halloween Havoc nineteen ninety three. Uh, will that be one of the choices in our ballot? Uh, we'll let you know. The, we'll let you know at the end of the show. Uh, 93 is actually pretty good. Halloween Havoc, actually. Um, we'll see. We shall see. Oh, and well, one more thing I should mention. One game I forgot to mention. Yes. Giants beat the Rockies that night. Uh, seven to three. Ah, okay. I liked, uh. I liked. Uh, uh, I've always kind of been a, kind of a a closet Giants fan. I think it's because I love the orange, and I wear half the. And you know, whenever I wear Mets stuff, I'm pretty much wearing half the Giants anyway. I'm currently actually reading, and I'll probably keep saying this with every future Wrestle Tracks for the next several months. I actually. Uh, I. A- <laughs> what is this? Oh. Is this like uh, a reference to the hot coffee at McDonald's? I think so. It was a nice outfit by Mark Henry. I liked that red, white, and blue. Uh, his Kangol hat. His. Uh... So of course we are now having Jerry Lawler and uh, and Mark Henry is this match. So he's about to make his. Wrestling debut. This is not as epic as last month when uh, he was wearing the Vinny Testaverde Ravens jersey in Cleveland. I know, in Cleveland, which he said drove him batshit. Because for those that know, uh, Jerry Lawler is a diehard, diehard Cleveland Browns fan. So he said it was very, very hard for him to wear a Baltimore. He was because obviously, like most Browns fans, he was uh, he was jilted by Art Modell. So uh, 
he said it was very, very hard to wear a uh, uh, to wear a, uh, a a Ravens jersey uh, in in Cleveland since he was such a giant Browns fan. Well, spe- speaking of Vinny Testaverde, and I'll mention this, I have a, in my possession a starting lineup Vinny Testaverde jer- uh, figure. Really? With yes. the Ravens? Yeah, with the uh, with the original Ravens uh, wing shield logo on the helmet. Ah, yes. That's actually, uh, I'm pretty sure, uh, as Mark Henry comes in the ring, I'm pretty sure, my God, that is the brightest. I, I don't know when, how long he wore that outfit, but my God, that thing is bright. Ugh. I mean, I love anything red, white, and blue. I have no problem wearing gold glory, but that's, wow, that's bright. Um, you may want to, uh, Greg, not that I would ask you to sell any of your stuff because you have an exceptional collection, but that might be a very rare starting lineup figure because apparently due to, oh, there's somebody with a 12 in the background. Is that, is that uh, old Randall Cunningham? I don't know. Um, it's like a Dolphin, maybe a Dolphins jersey, I think. Maybe a throwback Bob Greasy. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, that, of course, Lawler, his usual blathering uh, promos, typical Memphis stalling. So, um, the Ravens, so, yeah, wing shield, right? Yeah, it's it it's it's they're not allowed to use it. It's a copy. There's some type of copyright issue with the Edgar with the Pove Edgar Allan Pove estate or something of that nature. That's why they've never used that logo again. Yeah. They well, I think it's I think it's because like some someone submitted the logo to them. And they used it without his permission. So that's why oh, is that what it was? Okay. So I'm. I mean, again, I would never ask you to sell any of your stuff, but I, I bet you that starting lineup figure is probably a pretty penny. I actually got it for like three bucks. So yeah, I would probably throw a couple zeros on. I mean, I might be wrong. I might totally be off base, but <laughs> but uh, you never know. You never know. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, while you let us speak of football, Greg, if you let us know, oh, uh, what is going, what went on in major league, in major league football? Listen <laughs> to me. In uh, the NFL in this 96 season, of course, my beloved uh, my beloved Dallas Cowboys are the work defending world champions. Uh, they had won the third in uh, four years. Uh, what was going on on this week in 1996? Okay, so first game, we'll go over the one o'clock games first. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carolina Panthers over the uh, 49ers, 23-7. to I believe, I don't think Steve Young started this game. Let me look. Uh, oh, no, he did. He threw 24 for 42, 67, one TD. And, oh, okay. Uh, so, oh, I'm surprised. Steve Berline, 22 for 31, two TDs, one interception, 290 yards. So this would be the second year of Carolina, and this would be yes. the year they went all the way to the NFC title game. Where they lost to the Packers. Um, uh, hmm. can't. Kansas City an upset win seventeen to fourteen over Denver. Steve Bono the starter for Kansas City in this game. Terrell Davis, oh, wow. Terrell okay. Davis hundred and forty one rushing yards. Jen Trump hundred thirty one receiving yards, but only fourteen points for them. Vikings over the Packers thirty to twenty one. Warren Moon three for two eighty. Arizona over the Saints, 28-14. to 14. Uh, Rob Borg, 91 receiving yards for the, um, the Arizona Cardinals. And 214 rushing yards for some guy named LaShawn Johnson. Now, I looked this up, Scott. Mm-hmm. His career rushing yards, according to football reference, 
955 career rushing yards. So he got 20% of his career rushing yards in this one game. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, oh, a preview of the AFC championship game that year. New England against Jacksonville, 28 to 25. New England in overtime. Oh, Mark okay. Br- Mark Brunel threw for 432 yards. Uh, let me get the uh, the quarterback matchup real quick. Brunel, 23 for 39, three TDs, one interception. Drew Bledsoe, 27 for 44, 255, one TD, one interception. Curtis Martin for New England, and this would be his second year in New England. 95 rushing yards on 24 attempts for TD. And I believe would Vinatieri have gotten the winner? Yes, he did. 40-yard field goal in overtime. So. Oh, okay. So this would be his, uh, I think it, let me just see. Would this be in his rookie year in 96? Yes, it would. It would be Adam Vinatieri's rookie hmm. year. Okay. Oh, okay. So, uh, oh, we had the Giants against the Jets, and uh, this was the one in fifteen Rich Cotate season. So you know what happened in this: Giants winning thirteen to six, and of course, both coaches that year would be fired at season's end in New York. Dan Reeves with the Giants and uh, Cotate with the Jets. Uh, Washington over St. Louis, seventeen to ten. Isaac Bruce, though, 136 receiving yards in the loss for the Rams. Okay, Scott, the Cowboys played the Bills in this game. The Cowboys lost 10 to 7. Ugh. Uh, let me just look. Troy had, did not have a good game in this one. 16 for 33, 164, three interceptions. And uh, for Buffalo, I believe this was Jim Kelly's final season. Because I think he retired after this year. It's some jabroni named Todd Collins. Oh, that guy. The pride of Uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan. uh, 11 for 17, 87 yards, one interception. It's so bad, I actually think Zach Wilson might have had a better game yesterday than Todd Collins. And that's saying a lot. Oh, and Mark Henry just won, by the way. Look at Jerry. He's in so much pain here. Yeah. Oh, God. Hi, Al. Hi, Leif. <laughs> what a boob. What, what, was the, what was the new Rockers deal with Jerry at this time? I, I have no idea. Oh. Two fucking scrubs. <laughs> Look, I'm down for... Oh! Hunter, what are you doing here in this? Listen, one day, I'm going to make you world heavyweight champion. I don't know when, but I will. Probably in 15 years. Well, hey, a future world champion just threw out a future world champion. <laughs> that is true. Yes, that is true. All right. So I think we're getting into the four o'clock games now. 
Uh, Lions over the Bears, 35 for 16. Scott Mitchell threw for 336. And um, uh, Johnny Morton had 174 receiving yards for the Lions in this game. And then at, I believe this was at the Oakland Coliseum, we had a shootout between the Chargers and the Raiders. Chargers winning in overtime, 40 to 34. Mm. Dan Humphreys threw for 18 for 25, 226 for four TDs. Jeff Hostetler threw 26 for 44, 293 yards, three TDs, two interceptions. And he might have gotten hurt at some point because I see Billy Joe Herbert Hobart came in for action. Oh, jeez. He, he went 8 for 12, 107 yards, and 2 TDs. So. Hmm. So, oh, to- Tony Morton, 138 receiving yards for the Chargers. Tim Brown, 120 receiving yards, 2 TDs for the Raiders. So doing something that they did very well back then, they actually looked ahead. So they already announced that next month at the In Your House Buried Alive show at uh, Market Square Arena in Indianapolis, Undertaker would take on Mankind in a Buried Alive match. And they do indicate that that match could be for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Could be, depending on what happens tonight. So while you were doing that, while you were giving us the the scores and the stats, Greg, um, Oh, I wasn't sure if you were finished. Was that the schedule? I got three more games. So oh, okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, uh, Seahawks over the Bucks, 17-13. to 13. Uh, Piece of garbage, Rick Meyer threw for 209 for Seattle. Fuck, another uh, Notre Dame flop. Started. Ruined my 1999. Just like what Zach Wilson is probably doing to JR right now. <laughs> yes. Uh, Eagles were the Sunday night game this night. 33-18 to, eight, to over Atlanta. Uh, Ricky Waters, who we mentioned earlier, 121 rushing yards for the Eagles. Uh, let me see. Randall's no, no, Rodney Pete got the start this night for the Eagles. Oh, okay. 16 for 29, 199 receiving yards. Bobby Haybear and Jeff George split time in this game. Jeff George threw for 217 with a TD and two interceptions. Bobby Hebert threw for 149 and one TD three Jeez! Wow. Um. Uh. Yeah, Rick Meyer was a bum. Another Notre Dame, you know, disappointment. Um. Just like uh, what happened Saturday against Ohio State. Oh God. Okay. Bush push 2.0. Although it is disappointing <laughs> that my head coach didn't know how many fucking guys were on the field, but that's we'll 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 let, we'll, we'll see how far they didn't they didn't really drop much in the power rankings. Ohio State more went up, so yeah. Notre Dame could still run the table and get a playoff spot. But we'll see. Well, well got, they're, they're playing Duke. They beat uh, Clemson, so yeah, though I guess they still got Duke, and then they still have USC too. So we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, um, I am looking at the eBay. I was looking at eBay for your starting lineup before you finish. Uh, and Vinny Testaverde had a shit ton of starting lineups. He, of course, had the first one was way back in 1989 when starting lineup started. And, of course, he had a, it was in his Bucks outfit, Bucks uniform. Then he would have a couple with Baltimore. And then he would have one in 2000, uh, of course, with the uh, with the New York Jets. Um, they vary. I think that one's signed. But. Sadly, I was totally wrong. Uh, do you have the white jerseyed 
Ravens or the purple jersey Ravens? I have the purple jersey Ravens. The one that says 1998 on the top? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, it's a whopping 350. So <laughs> it's mine is loose. That's probably why. Oh, okay. Some but, guy uh, has some guy has one signed for thirty three dollars. Oh, well, you know what? It wouldn't be that if it was a Jets one, I would have gotten that from my brother's uh, Jets room in Jer- South Jersey. So, oh, there you go, there you go. Uh, and the Monday night game, we got Colts over the Dolphins twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, ten to six. And would Harbaugh have Jim Harbaugh still been there? Yeah, Jim Harbaugh yep. threw for a TD for the Indianapolis, and. I'm guessing Dan Marino got hurt in this game because he would, went five or eight for 67 yards. And But you know who the backup was for Miami in this game? Mm. Cleo Lemon? No. no. <laughs> Bernie Kozar. Oh, God. Well, he helped me win a world championship three years earlier. So, um, Thanks, wow. Bill. <laughs> 15 for 22, 122 yards. That is funny. So our next match is probably one of the most bizarre feuds that went on in 1996, and that is Goldust against The Undertaker. Uh, I remember when JR and I were doing these vintage vaults, we were still trying to figure out what the hell this whole thing was about. I don't know if this was just like a... Taker was feuding with like seven guys at once in 1996 and 97. I watched this to prepare on Peacock, and I don't even remember what the beef was. I don't either. It was just... It was very weird. I think it was because... Goldust and Mankind had become like this with Paul Bear, this little cabal of misfits uh, kind of thing. So that might that might have been it. That might have been it. But, um, of course, Goldust had been Intercontinental Champion for a decent hunk of 96 uh, before losing it to Ahmed Johnson at King of the Ring. And then Ahmed would end up having to forfeit the title because he injured his kidney at the hands of Ah. Uh, Farouk Assad. Uh, I don't know who the. I think. I think at the moment the Intercontinental Champion was uh, Mark Marrow, because it would be the night after. It was the night after. Um, buried alive a month later that Triple H would win his first singles championship, when he defeated uh, Mark Marrow with the help of Mister Perfect. Uh, to become the IC champ. That would be the night after Buried Alive. So that would have been October 22nd of 96. So I'm guessing, if I remember correctly, that Mark Marrow was the uh, Intercontinental Champion at that moment. Uh, so. Let me let me look at the history of the Intercontinental title. Yeah, so. yeah can, clear that up for me. I'm pretty sure at this point Mark Marrow was the champion because obviously they had, to, they had to do a tournament because... Uh, they had to do a tournament because Ahmed Johnson had to forfeit the belt because of the kidney. And he was never the same after that because he tried to protect his kidney. And he ended up being just an absolute disaster in the ring. You could argue Ahmed was never the same after that. No, he definitely was not. He definitely was not throughout the rest of his career. Uh, Mark, I think, would win the title the next night on Raw from Hershey. Yeah, he beat Farouk in the final that night. Oh, so, so the tournament was ongoing. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So the finals was, would be the following night, yeah. Okay, so I wasn't off by much. And then Mark Merrill would win it. He'd hold it for a month. And then the night after the Buried Alive pay-per-view, uh, Triple H would uh, defeat Mark Merrill. And I think Triple H held the belt till... February 13th. 
Yes, when he lost to uh, a guy by the name of Flex Cavana. <laughs> um, wonder what happened to that guy. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember him. I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. Uh, <laughs> um, decent album, by the way, by Aerosmith. Um, so Taker and Goldust Wrestling here. Uh, as I said earlier, they did this a lot. They even did it a lot in 95 when they started doing the monthlies is they already would kind of tip their hand a bit, which is fine on the big match for the next month's pay-per-view. And a, a little bit earlier in the show, as I mentioned, they announced that the following month at in your house buried alive in uh, Indianapolis, that uh, taker would face mankind in a buried alive match. And of course they would allude uh, to the fact that that match could be, could be, for the World Wrestling Federation Championship, depending what happens later this evening here in Philly. Philly's next pay-per-view was probably WrestleMania 15. I can't think of them. I don't think they came here after no. that. No, I think the next time they're in this city on pay-per-view would be a little over two and a half years later for WrestleMania 15. As uh, very serendipitous, because what did I say? What did we say earlier? It was the yeah. first... The first DVD ever done, or first pay-per-view DVD. Although I think it was the first DVD period oh, by um, by uh, WWF in uh, 1999. Oh, what, what does Goldust have here? What is he doing? Oh, he's throwing the dust oh, flakes? Oh, he's got dust. He's literally got dust. He's literally going to dust Taker while Taker holds up uh, Marlena like, hey, baby. Hello. <laughs> oh, if, if Jesse were here, he'd go, he'd be going nuts about this. Yeah. Get his hands off a woman. And of course, uh, Taker gets some gold, gold dust in the eyes. Taker's year got so much better as it progressed uh, because the beginning of the year, he was in those, like, he had that really boring match with Brett at the 96 Rumble. And then he did not wrestle it at uh in your house six he cost diesel the uh world title in the cage and then of course he and kevin nash would have a very underrated in my opinion and i think a lot of people would agree a very underrated match at wrestlemania 12 i i think i i think that taker diesel match is much much better than people want to remember it um and then of course oh sorry and then of course yeah, the main guy feud right after. But my favorite Maybe. part of that Undertaker uh, Diesel match is Diesel more the match saying, I'm the shit I'm telling you. Yes. And I think it's WrestleMania when you hear Diesel go, What's up, Vlad? To uh, Vladimir, of course, super fan Vladimir. We know Vladimir Greg because yeah. he's from our neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, I think it's that pay per view where he goes, What's up, Vlad? Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Vlad, Vladimir. Me and JR met him. At uh, WrestleCon, I have a picture, at WrestleCon uh, during WrestleMania 29 weekend back in uh, 2013. So that was pretty cool. You just saw a kid with the uh, new Eagles logo at the time in the crowd. Yes. Yeah, it was literally the next year that they changed to to that darker green and like the kind of very very, uh, detailed, angry, uh, I guess you could call like angry feathers or whatever. Um, so yeah, this match is just not, and I like 
Dustin Rhodes. I love Dustin Rhodes and I yeah. love Taker. But this match is just not it's just not great. You could tell Goldust was starting to get a little uh a little pleasantly plump. Um he's not that bad, but it gets worse definitely in ninety seven and then by uh, night he's a he's a mess. Oh, even when he gets to the artist formerly known as Goldust, it just yep. Taff Cag. Yeah, it's just it's it's not it's not good. It's terrible. Um Of I course. Will, I will contend okay. the best uh Dustin is Booker Dust. <laughs> oh my god. When he uh when he got electrocuted <laughs> he, Oh that was hilarious. And he's trying to cut the promo to Triple H right before WrestleMania nineteen and he's like WrestleMania Oh my god. That that uh that meme is like one of the greatest one of the or gifts is one of the greatest ever. <laughs> oh my god, look at Taker's hair, he's got all that gold dust. Oh my god, he's Taker Dust. <laughs> oh my god. I didn't know what was that you were gonna say? Oh my god. That is so great. Taker, of course, would kind of change his I mean, he'd been wearing pretty much the purple outfit with that till pretty much throughout most of the last two years. I would say he when he came back at SummerSlam '94 uh, from the hiatus, he pretty much um, had this outfit on, and he's had it pretty much for three years, uh, almost two years. And then when he comes back at uh, the '96 Survivor after he gets buried the next month, uh, the month after he comes back at uh, the Survivor Series at MSG with a new kind of a new outfit, the, the, the leather wings and everything. And he looks very different, um, a little different when he gets to, uh, by the time he wins the world title, the following year at WrestleMania in Chicago, Chicago. This is a nice camera shot right here. Yeah. Very nice. Down below. Goldust. This is before Goldust really went crazy with the black in his, you know, in his outfit. This is mostly all white and gold. I'm trying to remember if, um, I'm trying to remember if, uh, I'll have to look up like, uh, Herb Coonsy, our, our, our pal on the place to be podcast. Oh God. Herb. Herb's notes, because, as I'm watching Goldust now, I'm trying to think to myself, was he the one that, was he always the plan when he debuted in 95? Was he always the plan to become Intercontinental Champion um, when he lost to, when he beat Razor at the at the Rumble? I'm trying to remember if that, if that was the case or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Interesting. Of course, he held it at the Rumble, except for a weird, a weird like, like title switch, not title switch with Savio. Um, he pretty much held it from the Royal Rumble all the way to King of the Ring. When I mentioned earlier, he'd lose it to uh, Ahmed Johnson. Uh, and now, as uh, Greg mentioned, the night after the show, the IC tournament would conclude with Mark Merrow defeating uh, Farouk to win the IC belt, which he would hold for a month and then lose it uh, in October to Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Yeah, that Raw the night after this is pr- a pretty underrated Raw between that and, of course, the uh, the debut of fake Deezer, fake Razor with the amazing yep. JR heel, heel promo. promo. 
50 cents on the dollar. And then and then they spend the next three three months of shows cutting off JR's mic and all that fucking nonsense. It's like ridiculous. Oh, that choke slam was terrible. Uh but Taker's also trying to choke slam a fucking three hundred and ten pound guy off the top rope that's a little clumsy. Now, as everybody knows, I'm a big belt junkie. Oh, oh! Taker going for the crooked tombstone because he doesn't want to put his head in gold dust crotch. And this should be it. Um, and it is gold dust. Thank God. Works. Yes. Um, I, I was about to mention that I obviously, as everyone knows, I'm a big belt mark, and I remember. Uh, liking gold dust, gold belt. Well, I mean, obviously, yes, the plates are gold, but when he was champion, the leather was gold. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really slick belt, very sharp. So Taker with the win, and Vince confirms that Taker could get a world title shot next month at the pay per view if Mankind can defeat Shawn Michaels. So I wonder if that was like, you know, because 96 and 97 started becoming, even though Vince didn't want to admit it, almost mildly ambiguous, um, uh, like shades of gray already because you got Taker. Would would Taker perhaps help Mankind win the title so he could get a title shot the next month? I'm sure Mr. Perfect, I guarantee you at some point in these in these announce in the announcing, he probably because that's a Mr. Perfect thing, you know, maybe Taker wants his arch enemy mankind to win so their match at the uh, pay-per-view the next month is indeed a uh, title shot so hmm. interesting it, that was kind of where they they got more shades of grayish even pre uh attitude era i feel like they because you know not sure where's what and it kind of made the product like more intriguing it's like i liked yes. it when it became like unpredictable i mean obviously it'd go like in a completely different direction next year. But this era, it's kind of like you didn't know what was going going to happen. They're really pimping the hell out of it. So Kevin Kelly interviewing the World Wrestling Federation champion, Shawn Michaels. Um, The wackiest cat. <laughs> I just love the way Sean would cut these promos. Those are the longest fucking earrings I've ever seen oh, Sean wear. Good God. It was the 90s. Wow. He could have connected them. The, the one on the left is longer than the one on the right. Oh, it's way longer. It's crazy.
There's not a lot upstairs when it comes to Shawn Michaels. No shit. God only knows what it's filled with anyway. Now, some of you that are watching on on Peacock, you may be you may be dealing with uh, commercials. I I have the commercial list, but so here we are now. We have reached uh, we have reached our main event. As a casket is being wheeled down to the ring by druids, and there, of course, is now the villainous the villainous Paul Bearer. It's a nice casket, actually. I legitimately was thinking that this this could happen. The fact that they were pimping the heck out of the main event of the next month's pay-per-view. And the probability that why wouldn't you have this was actually pretty shrewd booking on the part of of Vince and the and the company because you know, Sean cut that promo with the thinking that I have no idea what the hell I'm getting myself into here. And that the main event of the following month's pay-per-view involves mankind. And back then it was very rare for the main event of anything to not involve the World Wrestling Federation title. So it was definitely, I remember thinking uh, that there was a chance that that Mick may actually win this match. And Mick Foley would always say that this was the best shape he was ever in for a match. Long were the days of uh, certainly not three years later when he was wrestling in those powder blue sweatpants. Oh, no. Oof. When he looked like he ate three druids. But he was in killer shape here. But you know what I'm saying, Greg? Like expert booking to, to, to definitely leave a little mystery here, particularly since Sean had had not lost to Vader the following, the previous month at SummerSlam. So, and, and he was the hot heel at this time. Yeah. Which is why I think he, they struck after the heel turn by Paul Bear and the win over Taker at SummerSlam made perfect sense to get him the, give him the title shot. He was the hottest guy. Oh, there's a, looks like a Niners jersey. I don't know who, Elvis Durback maybe? Maybe uh, Steve Young. Well, I thought there was a one next to that eight, but you might be right. It's probably Steve Young. Who the hell would wear an Elvis Gerback jersey? But anyway, uh, here's Sean with the winged eagle. Is the winged eagle your favorite uh, belt, uh, Greg? I think it's favorite belt. It's neck and neck with that in the classic IC belt. Ah, yes. It's as if the Philadelphia Flyers have won the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Which they would try to do the next year and not. <laughs> and epically failed to Steve Eiserman and crew. Yep. And then, of course, that would be the first of back-to-back for Detroit. They, of course, the following year would beat the Caps in 98 to win the Cup. And then uh, they would win it again in 02? Yeah, 02. O two, and then I think again in 06, if I remember correctly. In, uh, no, o- no, 06 was Carolina. 08, 
Oh eight was the year they beat uh the uh Penguins. It, they beat Sid Sid's first year. Yep. And then the next year would be reversed, and Mariosa right. would still lose. Yes. So here That's we a, go. I oh, always yep. found I always found that hilarious. Mary Osa was on in opposite years and lost on both ends. I know. That must mean something. Um I wonder if this is Mick Foley's first world title shot of any capacity. I'm trying to think back. Uh, I, I'd like to think he probably wrestled Sting. Probably Vader. Um, yeah, Vader when he was champion or Sting when he was cha- when he was WCW champion. You know, that 92, that 91, 92, 93 stretch. I, I would think that he, I'm sure he did. Um, people are probably screaming at their, at their phone or laptop right now. Um. But I definitely had a feeling, again, I didn't watch this live, but I was just thinking to myself going into this night, and then, of course, I I knew what happened the next time on Raw, but I uh, I, um, I thought that t- Mankind had a good chance of winning, just the way everything was painted for this, that Sean was facing a guy who was a little unpredictable, you know, he doesn't, he's not a typical wrestler kind of thing, I, I and, you know, they had already booked Taker Mick the next month for the pay-per-view. I'd, so it just seemed like it was working in Mankind's favor that he could be world champion at the end of the night. Yeah. So. Oh, I got an EC dub chant. Well, obviously because... Mick, an ECW alumnus. <laughs> How childish. Stepping all over the... That seems so weird. Well, Sean's coming off the match with Vader last month. Yeah. I mean, Sean was over. Unfortunately, he wasn't over at the bank because uh, WWF was definitely in dire financial straits these couple of years. They weren't making the buck. And I don't think it was Sean's fault. I think a lot of it was just the roster. It just wasn't that great. And, you know, the NWO started just lighting it up at this point in September. So. I'm waiting when we get to the point of the match. I think this is it right here. Nope, this isn't it. I know we get to a point in the match where where Mick gets pissed and and or, uh, Sean gets pissed, and I love. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to really, I want to really de- delve into that when it comes up in the match. They had good chemistry, Greg. I have to say. Oh yeah. Worked very well together. You know what I find interesting? I'm, I'm thinking about this, about, like, venues and stuff during this stretch when, when you know, Vince stuck with his with his safe places to make to get sellouts. I'm surprised we didn't get, like, an in-your-house at Nassau Coliseum. Yeah, because we didn't get a Nassau pay-per-view till like, SummerSlam 02. 02, which is one of the best ever. I still regret not going. It pisses it, me it, off to this day. Oh, uh, yeah. You know? Well, and, of course, we got that great Sean Hunter match with uh, oh, Sean's comeback. So good. Brock Rock and 
That's just the whole card is good. But Angle it's funny Mysterio. that you're Angle Ray, uh, RVD, Benoit. Was it Test Taker? No. Test Eddie? Test Something, Eddie, I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just a great fucking show. Uh, Flair and uh, Jericho, if I remember correctly. Um, any event. It just seemed weird, like, because obviously at this time, Vince was trusting his safe places to get sellouts. Uh, MSG. Uh, obviously, he was avoiding the Meadowlands because of all the whole sports and entertainment, which he decided to, you know, throw caution to the wind a year later. But I'm I'm surprised. I mean, I'm, I don't even think there were any Raws at Nassau during this stretch. I feel like I feel like he wouldn't hit um, he wouldn't hit Nassau right till SummerSlam 02. Maybe he thought, okay, I got the Gordon. That's good enough. Yeah. Now here's the moment. Sean was supposed to, and you can see Sean getting pissed, <laughs> and and Mick's like. Mick's like, fuck you, dude. You're not throwing potatoes at me, asshole. And now they just start rolling around and fighting. I love this because, because Mick, Mick, obviously everyone knows the previous month at SummerSlam, um, the previous month at SummerSlam, uh, Mick was supposed to perform a move on, on uh, Vader, and Vader kind of rolled out of the way. Sean threw a temper tantrum and started throwing potatoes at Vader. And Vader just kind of sat there and took it like a bitch. We go ahead a month. Sean obviously was trying to improvise something. Mick was not lined up right. So Sean gets pissed and does the same thing. But this time Foley's like, dude, you're not going to want to do this with me. And started throwing the potatoes back. And I think at that point, Sean's like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to like, he's throwing some, he's throwing some makers here. And, uh, and I think Mick started throwing him back. I think Sean was realizing, you know what? Uh, this is probably not the guy that I should pretend to be a tough guy in front of. You know? Um, and you know, it makes the match that much great, too. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think Mick's like, you know what, Sean? Fuck you, dude. Like, who are you? I don't care if you're the fucking Hulk fucking Hogan. You're not taking a liberty with me. Just because your little, your little uh, audible didn't work the way you wanted it to. Screw you. We just well, keep going and forget about it. Well, Sean, it, it, made it. Sean made those moments worse. And I think I've mentioned this on past shows when, when like JR and I have talked about it. I feel like sometimes Sean made it worse by actually, yes, on the one hand, it made the match better by they start potatoing each other. But on the other hand, Sean clearly makes it look like a screw up by, by calling it out. Whereas he just, just couldn't let it go. And I think that was one of, Look at that. Look at that sign. Sean yawn. So it was evident by this point that 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 uh, Sean was at some of the crowd was starting to tire of the shtick, if you know what I mean. Oh, jeez. But. Oof. Ow. Damn, that hurt. I mean, he could have he could have broken something there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crazy. We obviously would not have seen either of these guys on either of the other two shows uh, if you had picked them, uh, folks. Uh, Foley was in ECW in 1994, so he would not have been part of Fall Brawl. And, of course, Sean was in the midst of his medical hiatus or retirement or maybe in 
September of 2000. In fact, uh, that was the pay-per-view that Stone, that Steve Austin came back. Um, so I, I should note one correction. Mick actually was on full brawl 94. You lost the loser leads town match to that. Kevin. Oh, right. And then Good I ball. think the next week he's on the, uh, infamous UWF blackjack brawl. Yes, he is against Snuka where the greatest moment from that is not from the show. It's from the dark side of the ring where Herb yes. Abrams says to Mick, wait till you get a load of this. And he shows off the cowboy boots with the UWF logo on it. Yes. <laughs> we're in, we're in the boots. He was probably hiding about a million dollars worth of Coke. Um, <laughs> the best part is when they stupidly have Mick and Snuka brawl in the crowd, except they brawl in a section where nobody's sitting. <laughs> and, that's so, that's so and then this stupid ring announcer is like, ah, just give like he's like the ring announcer for Blackjack Bowl is like so bad he's great. He's like, Mario Guerrero, everybody. So bad. Oh my god, it is so bad. Just mind-bendingly bad. So Mick's got a Mick's in a figure four here. Sean doing a little submission action going on here. Even at this point, I think some people had to, again, I didn't watch this live, but I think yeah, a lot of people had to have been thinking that, you know, I still think that Mick's got a shot here. But Mick definitely, I think at this point in his career, I think Mick was wrestling with his most confidence. And I think he mentions that in the first book. That at this time in 96 into 97, uh, he was wrestling with the most confidence in his career. He was in the best shape. Sean with the one-legged crab. As everyone knows, Sean does not wrestle. I think he wrestles a dark match on the uh, October pay-per-view. I think he wrestles Goldust. Um, So he's not on the pay-per-view proper in October. And then, of course, at Survivor Series at the Garden, he would lose the world title to to Sid when they steal a a, a spot from the previous night's November to Remember ECW pay-per-view when Sid smokes uh sean and jose lothario with the camera <laughs> um which they clearly which they did steal i forgot which match it was from the previous night's november to remember pay-per-view then sean of course would win it back a couple months later at the uh the rumble at the uh, royal rumble in san antonio what, what the hell is mccaffin it's like a, I don't know, some a plastic. He's trying to like get the feeling back in his leg, but he's like stabbing it with like a cafeteria knife or something. Um. Then of course he loses a smile, and then yabba yabba yabba. So. Well, of course the Survivor Series match with Sid. Let us never forget the the insane pop Sid got. Oh yeah. yeah, Sean. At this point, at that point in November '96, it was evident that Sean's run was Sean was done as champion. I mean. 
He had a great run. It started back in March, but the crowd was starting to get a little. I think the EC, this is, I think late 96, early 97 is where the, I think the ECW influence started to go over the crowd. They wanted something a little more vicious and a little more violent. And they knew Sid would bring that and that Sean would, wouldn't. Um, and I think by, and particularly in New York City, after one night after a pay-per-view that took place, you know, fucking an hour and a half away or whatever. As a matter of fact, let me look that up. We're, I just want to confirm. This is such an unbelievable match right here. So, uh, Scott, do you have that information? I guess he's got still looking it up right now. Um, let me see here. Uh, sorry, I must have my plug must have come loose. Um, let's see. Um, there we go. Let's go to Survivor. I'm on a great site, by the way, for anybody who uses a uh, cage match. It's a tremendous, uh, it's a tremendous uh, resource. Um, let's see, eleven seventeen. There it is, Survivor Series. Uh, oh no, I'm looking for uh, mind games. Hold on. Uh, let's go one back one page. Let's see, nine twenty-two. In your house, mind games. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Uh, wow. Uh. So, wow, I'm I'm a little surprised. Dave gave this match four and three quarters. Oh, I didn't think he graded it that high. I'm very impressed. Four I, and three quarters. Th- Dave gave this match. I would have thought he gave it four. Yeah, he was a quarter. This match in Dave's eyes would have, was a quarter star shy of a perfect match. And it's really good. I mean, this match is great, everybody. If you haven't watched it in a while. Oh, it's really good. He did and not it, grade. He did not grade the Mark Henry Jerry Lawler match. <laughs> good. <laughs> he should. I hope he did not grade the uh, 
The Cornette Lefario match. The Cornette Lefario match. No, we did not, thank God. Mercifully, no, we did not get that. All right. I'm going to see where I have it on my... Where's my... Where's my ballot? Here we go. Well, I want to see you... where I have it on my GWWE okay. list. Well, while you look for that, I should note this match is also on the history of the WWE Championship DVD set from 2006. So. Yes, I love that set. I love that set. Good call. Good call, Greg. I love that set. GWWE. I think on the 90s disc, you got the, that Hogan Warrior, the Brett Owen cage match from uh, SummerSlam 94. And uh trying to think. This match, obviously. I trying there's one other match I I forget. I okay. So this match is on my top one hundred. I have it at seventy five. Okay. It's number seventy five on my list. So I did have it in my top one hundred. Probably not the it's definitely not the last Sean match. I can't imagine me having another cat. Well, I do have, and I'm proud of the fact that I have at least one. I probably have more than one of each, but I do have, wow. Oh, wow. I thought he was going to. Ooh. Yeah, this match is, this match is really good. It's probably mixed best. Well, let's put it this way. It's mixed best mankind match. Uh, yeah. I have on my list, I have, I have a Mick match of at least one of each of his characters. I have this match as Mankind. As Dude Love, I have the match between him and Stone Cold for the world title at Over the Edge 1998. I have that match at number 31. And then I have Triple H and Cactus Jack from uh, the twenty uh, from the 2000 uh, Royal Rumble. I have that match at 21. So this is the lowest ranked of the three matches, but all three matches are oh! amazing. Yep, the guillotine. But what a move here! He puts him in the in the mandible claw while he's while he's fucking being guillotined in the ropes. That's awesome. And of course, that's how he got his ear ripped off. Incidentally, for those that don't know. And remember, the table's still uh... sideways. Yeah. Hugo hasn't even bothered to put it back. <laughs> That's hilarious, actually. This has been a, an absolutely fantastic match. Really has. For those that haven't watched it in a while, watch it. Obviously, it's here on Peacock if you look up the In Your House Mind games. Um, I wonder if I, it, it's on the history of the WWE Championship DVD if you own it, which I do. Yeah. Uh, that one's not uploaded on Peacock. The history of the World Heavyweight Championship oh. is up. However, the difference there is that uh, the history of the WWE Championship does not have a doc. No. That's just got matches and I think maybe yeah. like vignettes in between. That, the World that, Heavyweight Championship one has a uh, has a doc before it. So. Yeah, the Keith David narrated doc, right? Yes, he did. Yes, and it's excellent. Absolutely excellent. They did three of those. They did a yeah. WWE title one. They did a world heavyweight. The WWE title one was brown. Yeah. The world heavyweight title one was uh, red. And the intercontinental title one was uh, blue. Yeah. They did, three, they did three of them. But they did do a, a U.S. title set. I know that. But it wasn't like the other ones. 
Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh uh formatted, which it should have been. And they definitely should have done a tag title one. That would have been pretty cool. They did do that Allied Powers tag team. Yes. Yes, they did. Which I did get from High Spots a couple of years ago during uh, COVID. They had like a DVD clearance sale. I got oh, it. I yeah, I didn't. Uh, I haven't opened it yet, though. So it's still. still I bought there. that one a while ago. I think it was dirt cheap. I got the Cactus Jack set. And then I got the the uh, what is it? The Cactus Jack uh, uh, set. And then they did a redo, a hardcore edition, probably about maybe three years later with a third disc, like when he came back in 06. Oh yeah. I remember that. They did, they did a third, they did a third disc. So there's two of them, the cactus Jack DVDs. Then there's the three faces of Foley, but that's a, that's like a one disc cheapoid. Mm -hmm. Um, the cactus Jack one was three, it was two discs. And then they did a third disc a few years later during the 06 run. Well, good thing the casket wasn't there on that side. Uh, could you have imagined how different things would have been if the hinge hit the back in 1996 instead of January of 1998? Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. I believe the WWE Championship is the gimmick match or the title match that I have the most on my list. I do have a shit ton of Intercontinental Championships. I think I have... Uh, ten, I have... Uh, 12 intercontinental title matches on my top 100 and i have oh my god uh two two four six eight ten twelve fourteen sixteen eighteen twenty twenty two twenty twenty six twenty eight thirty thirty is it thirty one i think it's thirty one yeah thirty yeah two four six 31 of my 100 matches on my top 100 GWD matches of all time are WWE championship matches. Uh, okay. And, uh, this match so. I had, it's 29. On the oh, class. wow. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. No, I got no, I got no issues with that at all. Nope. I definitely have more cactus, more Foley matches than those three. That, that there's no doubt, but this match I had at 75, um, let's see, and I'm sure I have fully matches on the GWCW list, which we'll go through another time when we have a WCW pay-per-view with him in it. Uh, Shawn Michaels, I think I have like, probably, I probably have like seven or eight matches of him on here. I got 14 for Shawn. Um, wow. I have, uh, three matches in the top 10. I have Bill. The ladder match from 10 is number one for Fraser. Hell in a Cell is number three for Taker. The uh, tag match on the action zone with Diesel, Razor, and Kid is eight. I have the uh, Good Friends, Better Enemies match with Diesel at 12. And I have a 21, the uh, the Cena match from the Raw in London at 20. Ah, right. Yes. Which I contend is the greatest Raw match of all time. Uh, it's It's up there. Um, it's definitely up there. My, I'll give you my highest rated raw match in a minute. Uh, so I have Sean, my highest Sean match is him and Taker from WrestleMania 25. I have that at three. I have him and Hunter, the aforementioned street fight from SummerSlam 02. I have that at five. Uh, I have the, the ladder match from 10 at 10. 
Then I have Sean back to back the two Kurt Angle matches from 2005, uh, Vengeance and WrestleMania 21. So I have what five Sean matches in the top 13. Uh, let's see. Then I have Sean. I have the first Hell in a Cell at 22. Then I have the triple threat from WrestleMania 20 at 29. Uh, I have Sean and Taker from WrestleMania 26 at 38. Do I have the London match? Pretty sure I do. I have Sean and Jericho from WrestleMania 19. I have Sean and Razor from SummerSlam 95. I have, oh, there it is. Uh, number 55, I have the match from London. And number 55. Uh, I have Flair and Sean from WrestleMania 24. Wow, this match is just, uh, it's just crazy. And the crowd's like fucking red hot too. I've seen and Sean from WrestleMania 23. I have this match. I have a lot of Sean. Uh, I have Jarrett and Sean from In Your House 2, which was about a year before this. Um, I think that's it, because I don't think I had a match that low. Oh, I had Rock... If you count the Rockers, uh, Greg, I have Rockers Brainbusters from the Jan- uh, January 23rd, oh, oh, 1989 oh, MSG House oh, Show. Oh, well, I do have the Rockers Haku Barbarian match from 7 on the list. So. Ah, yes. I have Triple H Sean from The Raw in uh, December of 03, the world title. And that's it. So, yeah, but I have about a third. I've got as many Sean matches on this list as I do flair oh, matches on my WCW list. Oh, oh, hold on a second here. I think we got a spot coming up. Oh. Oh. You see the guy where the, uh, there's a guy there. I know we always point out jerseys. There's a guy in the front row with a Penny Hardaway USA basketball jersey. Oh, yeah, because this would have been a uh, Dream Team 96 Olympics. Yes. That was a that was a killer spot. As mentioned, as I mentioned, we mentioned a moment ago for if if this if, if you care about that kind of stuff, uh, Meltzer gave this four and three quarters. Now I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to the wiki because wiki has it. I'm gonna go to to let's see if Dave didn't give. Uh, Um, if he didn't give, um, oh. oh my God, Oh, kick him in the face with the chair. All right. So if he didn't give this match five stars in 96, what did he give five stars to in 96? Let's see. It's probably something like Japan match. All right. Uh, March 9th, Hoovy versus Ray from oh, ECW okay. big ass extreme bash. Uh, from May 23rd, and here is Vader, and now the match is over. And I'm sure everybody was fucking pissed. But, you know, I don't mind that it ends this way. Yeah, you didn't want Mick, if if, if uh, Mick wasn't going to win the title, you didn't want it to end, you know, with a with a pinfall, so. No. Uh, May 23rd, 96. Oh, and Paul Bearer just drilled uh, Sean with the urn. May 23rd, 96, Masawa and Akiyama versus the Holy Demon Army from all Japan. June 7th, 96, Akiyama and Masawa against Johnny Ace and Steve, Dr. Death Williams. And here comes Sid brawling with Vader in the aisle, which is fucking awesome. Uh, 
Sid probably played a big softball game earlier that day. Exactly, yeah. Philly, Philly Industrial. Uh, October 10th from Michinoku Pro, uh, Kai and Tai DX. Wow. Against Grand Hamada, Grand Naniwa, Masato, Yakushiji, Super Delphin, and Tiger Mask 4. And then December 6th, 96, Holy Demon Army against Jun Akiyama and Mitsuhara Masawa, Real World Tag League. Of course, mid-90s, uh, Dave was like totally all in on all Japan, like almost every. I mean, 60, 70% of his five-star matches in the 90s are, are all Japan. So, I mean, this match is batshit. I think the fans are pissed. I think they actually kind of wanted to. I think they kind of wanted to see. And then oh! an awesome moment here. Uh, they open the casket to dump Sean in. They open the casket and fucking Taker's in there. The place is nuts. I want to know how they got him in the casket. I bet you was lying. He was probably lying under the ring and probably slid into in the trap door without anybody looking. That was awesome. The place went that that pop. I forgot how hot that pop is. They open the casket to throw Sean in and fucking Taker sits up. The place goes nuts. Because, of course, we do have our main event for the following month in Indianapolis. Mankind and Taker buried alive. Meanwhile, Sean's left in the ring and nobody cares. <laughs> it really doesn't seem like it. Sean's had that one, like, confetti piece on his back for like the last 15 minutes of the match so Shawn Michaels retains the WWF title in a disqualification uh, win over Mankind thanks to Vader's interference of course Vader was neutered at SummerSlam and nobody really gave a shit about him at this point Vader would not be any hotter than he was between, like, March and July. When he pinned Sean at In Your House International Incident, which is one of my favorite six-man tags of all time. In fact, that's on my top 100 list, too. Um, And then Sean neuters him at SummerSlam, and then that's it. He's gone. So Mick Foley, uh, Greg, definitely got, uh, definitely got better result, better uh you know, result here than, than Vader did the month before. Obviously because, you know, Vader's involved with nobody and Mick's about to wrestle Taker, so they had to keep him kind of moderately strong. So, yeah, so Dave Meltzer was a half, a quarter star shy of this being five stars. He did have uh, six five-star matches in 1996. Uh... Wait, did I count that wrong? Five, and three of them were all Japan. One was Michinoku Pro, and the other was ECW. And as a matter of fact, I think that match is the only ECW five-star match Dave ever gave, was that Hoovy ray match from Big Ass Extreme Bash in March. I think that's his only ECW match. Of course, uh, Dave would give a WWF match in the 90s uh, five stars, and that would be him and uh, Brett and, and, of course, Stone Cold from WrestleMania 13. He would give Sean and Taker the following year, of course, the Hell in a Cell match, uh, five stars. And I believe that would be WWF's last five-star match for a while. Uh, yeah. After the Hell in a Cell match, Dave, Dave would not give 
a five-star WWF match until Punk and Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. So almost 14 years before, which is bullshit because there's a ton of five-star matches. Yeah. There's a ton. I mean, on top of it, Sean and Taker from 25 is definitely five stars. So anyway. So overall, uh, Greg, other than the, the Goldust, well, other than Goldust Taker, this, this card is really not bad. I mean, Cornette and Lefario was obviously short and comedic. It was meant to be a hot mess. So I don't fault that match. It was meant to be a shit show. The only match that just really was not that good, in my opinion, was uh, oh, what a table spot was uh, Taker and, and Goldust. That match is just a plotting mess. But overall, I have to say this was a really, really fun show. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Scott, as we go ahead to October for the month of Halloween, what will be in our next poll for our next episode? Well, uh, while Sean's getting roses from his, you know, legion of 12-year-old girls. um, So we're going to expand the polling. I know Greg and I talked about it. We're going to expand to more than Twitter. I'm going to keep it on Twitter for one more month. If I don't think we're going to, we get the votes, we may dump it off Twitter. But I might give it one more month and then we may add it up. Uh, We'll see. I'll let everybody know through the PTB Twitter if I decide to do it on Twitter at all. If not, we're going to do it on the place to be uh, group page on Facebook. So obviously October, Halloween month. So what's the best thing to do? Well, if you go historically, the no mercies, the hell in a cells, WWF never really had a, we're not going to do, uh, we're, we're not going to do bad bloods. We don't want to do the next 96 show or even 97. So it is Halloween. We need to honor Halloween. So. We are going to put up three Halloween Havocs. I think that's only I think that's only fair. Your three choices. Think about it. You got some time to think about it, and then we'll put the poll up. Halloween Havoc 1989. Halloween Havoc 1995. Or Halloween Havoc 1997. Um all three shows. There's your picks. So think about it. Halloween Havoc 89, Halloween Havoc 95, and Halloween Havoc 97. Think about it. The poll will be up. If you're listening to this when it drops, which is Wednesday the 27th, uh, probably next Monday, October 2nd, and I will leave it up for a whole week. I'll try to leave it up as long as I possibly can on the Facebook page. And... uh. Let us know which Halloween Havoc you would like us to watch on the October episode of WrestleTracks. Um, and uh, we have a special, very specific, which we'll get into next month, a very specific poll choices for November's show. Very specific. We'll explain why when we get to it. Uh, Greg, always a pleasure. Love doing the show with you. A lot of fun. Let everyone know where we can find you. Uh, yeah, you can find uh, my podcast that I do with uh, my co-host Mike and Chigo. It was a thing on TV on the Place to Be Nation Pop Experience every Wednesday. And actually, Scott, in our uh, upcoming drop, which will be coming up very soon, we're actually celebrating uh, Dabney Coleman. We're going to do a special really? Dabney Colemania themed uh, 
set of episodes coming up. So we're going to review uh, three of his, his uh, short-lived television shows. We're going to do Buffalo Bill. Uh, we're going yes. to do, do the Slat Maxwell story. And, of course, we got to cover Drexel's class. <laughs> I liked uh, Slat Maxwell. I thought that was a good show. I kind of remember Buffalo Bill. Yeah, what was that, 85, 86? I kind of yeah. remember Buffalo Bill. 83, 84. 83, 84. Wow, that old? Wow. Yeah, it was right before the uh, big boom at NBC. In uh, fact, in the episode we talked about it, Brandon Tartikoff, the great NBC executive, said his biggest regret was canceling Buffalo Bill. Yeah. Um, I love Dabney Coleman, one of my favorite 80s uh, character actors. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, on my shelf... I'm actually looking at one of my favorite Dabney Coleman movies, Cloak and Dagger. Uh, yes, Vinegar Syndrome put out a 4K Blu-ray, I think. Yes, I'm looking right at it. Gorgeous. It's, <laughs> the set's got, it looks like the Atari cartridge. Oh, it's, yeah. It's very cool. Yes. I got I got to get that in the uh, Loki Season 1 Blu-ray that's coming out in the next couple yes. of days. So. Be- beautiful uh, steelbook. Uh, he was in War Games, uh, 9 to 5. Uh, my mom loves that movie, so I do too. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love Dabney Coleman. I'm looking forward to that episode. I'm definitely going to listen to that. Definitely. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Greg. Uh, yeah. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at Scott C. Podfather, but please follow the brand on Twitter at PTBN Wrestling. We do the poll. We'll put the poll there. Uh, we'll put the, I always do wrestling time travel where we go in time to that date, this date in history, what big shows were happening. Uh, and of course, place to be for all of your podcast needs. Uh, Around the quad of pods, of course, the PTV Wrestling Network, as Greg mentioned, the PTV Pop Experience, and, of course, the North-South Connection, which includes uh, the Jenny position. So uh, endless content here in our family. Greg, always a pleasure. Have a wonderful rest of your September into October. Listeners, thank you, as always. And uh, what are we going to do in October? Are we going to drive monster trucks? Are we going to wear masks? going to be in the Thunderdome? What are we going to do? The choice is yours on the Wrestle Tracks. <laughs>